God, thank you for all things you have blessed us with today. Thank you for Valentine's Day and the opportunity to celebrate with the people we love. For we pray especially for the people who have lost their loved ones or can't be able to be with the ones, loved ones today. We pray that they will be filled with your love, which is the most fulfilling kind of love. We continue to pray for COVID around the world. We pray that today we can shine your light in all that we do and do everything for your glory. Thanks that we can worship freely here at church, and I pray for your blessings upon all of us today. I pray that you will give everyone in this room a sense of your wholeness, peace, and love today. In your name we pray, amen. Thank you so much, Heidi, for leading us in prayer this morning. It's a big, big thing to do, and well done. That's great. Fantastic. I'll put that on this one. It's wonderful to worship, isn't it? It's great to get together as a body, uh, as a church, and to lift higher the name of Jesus. <clears throat> in fact, one of my greatest longings for our church uh, it's a heart's desire, and I think it reflects the heart of God. It's to see us grow, to see us grow in our passion for worship, to grow in our passion for worship. So that's what this morning is about as we, we look at what it means to be true worshippers as we look at true worship. Now, you might look at that and go, well, does that mean we hold the monopoly on, on what worship is if we have all of the answers because we've got the true worship and other people don't have the right worship? I'm, I'm saying true worship because those are the words that Jesus used when he was talking and explaining what it means to worship. And we're going to unpack that a bit more this morning, what it means to be true worshipers. <clears throat> I was um, reading in my uh, daily devotions, the, the passage from uh, John 4, which we're going to be in in a moment. And then I was listening to a, a, a podcast. I, I subscribed to a number of podcasts, and and one of the, the podcasts was about worship. And I got the sense that, yeah, the Lord's really asking us to really grow in and, and develop our, our sense of worship. And it was wonderful to be able to, to do that this morning. But just a quick definition uh, of worship <clears throat> I'll look through many um, dictionaries <coughs> and uh, I settled on one because I think this really reflects what Jesus was saying. And it's from Webster's Dictionary. It says, worship is to honour with extravagant love. I love that. Worship is to honour with extravagant love and extreme submission. Those two d different things is actually what Jesus speaks about. So true worship, in other words, is defined by priority that we place on who God is in our lives and what he has done for us. There's an old uh, English word that we get our word worship from, which is worth scripe. It's a word we don't use anymore, but it basically means to write down what is of worth. So what is of worth to us is worthy of our worship, what we value, what we hold in our hearts, what we ascribe to and, and desire is what is worthy of our praise. So worship isn't just about singing. 
I think so, so often in uh, the, the modern church life, we, we, we say, well, there's the worship time, and then there's the preaching time, and then there's the fellowship time. Uh, worship is not just singing. Worship is actually uh, when we have this extravagant love and honour for something, when we ascribe worth to something, when we say something is worthy of praise, then that is our worship. And it doesn't just happen in singing. It happens as we, as, as the hymn writer wrote, as he walked along the babbling brook and the, the mountains and he saw God's creation that was, it brought about this desire to worship. And we are made for worship. You and I are designed in our humanness to worship. It's part of who we are. In fact, uh, if you don't believe me, just think about the things that perhaps people in our society give worth to, what they value, and when we see them giving worth to it and value to it, we actually see worship. For example, when their sporting club is doing well or when they go to a rock concert. In fact, I've got a couple of uh, pictures here just from a quick Google search uh, about um, seeing how we are made for worship. So, Dave, if you want to pop those up. Here we see people in worship. People are worshipping their rock gods. Next one. I think that's a pretty amazing picture of a soccer fan worshipping his soccer team. And we keep going. This one's really interesting of people loving and showing their devotion and love for the, the pop star on stage. Next one. Again, what we're seeing is passion and enthusiasm and love for and value for what, what they are seeing. Next one. Amazing crowd. Just an example, I think, of what heaven's going to be like as we all come and we all... Uh, every knee will bow, every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord. And now I've got this one at the end. I think it's the next one. I know. I'll just put another another rock rock show in there. But this next one I think is really apt. That's that's for a few special people, particularly in our congregation and particularly in our society. Wow. Isn't that just a picture of worship? Hands raised, like we would see in church, because they value what they're seeing. They value and they give worth to a team of people running around following a football. <laughs> what we're seeing here in these pictures is good worship. What we're seeing is people expressing, expressing good worship, passionate uh, full body, hands raised, uh, joyful, enthusiastic, good worship. Problem is, it's a poor God that they worship. And I wonder sometimes if we flip that around in our spiritual life, in our church life, sometimes we see perhaps not so good worship of an awesome God.
So this morning I want to look at the, the passage of when Jesus comes and speaks to the Samaritan woman at the well. And normally when we look at this, this passage, we look at uh, the fact that Jesus talked about um, giving living water and, and, and what that, that means. But I want to actually focus on what Jesus uh, has and how he talks about Jesus at the end of this verse. And he, he says some, some pretty amazing things as he talks about worship. But some background to uh, this particular verse. Um, Jesus has, in, in John 3, had, had this experience with Nicodemus. And he talked about being uh, needing to be born again. And, and Nicodemus goes away confused. And then he comes to uh, Samaria. Uh, the Samaritans were sort of half Jews, half Gentiles. So when the Assyrians came and took over the northern kingdom uh, of Israel, uh, the Assyrians came and they sort of intermarried uh, with the Jews that were there. And so the Jews really didn't uh, have a, a high um, thinking of <laughs> Samaritans because of the way that they uh, allowed the Assyrian kind of way of life uh, into them. And so there was this this um, conflict, if you like, and this uh, um, dislike for the the two different people groups. And so Jesus here is is a, a Jewish man, and he comes and he speaks with this Samaritan woman. And there's some profound imagery there as Jesus uh, ushers in a new way of salvation, and that it is not just for a particular group of people, but he's expanding his love for and and openness to the gospel into. Samaria and then to the Gentiles and we see that in Acts and to the ends of the earth and he invites us to participate in that and so Jesus is here uh, speaking with this Samaritan woman and and unveiling this wonderful theological truth and 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 Nicodemus was a bit baffled before and now this woman's a bit baffled and she but she's got some pretty amazing insight that Nicodemus didn't have and she begins to ask some questions And so I want to look at this um, starting uh, from verse 19. Sir, the woman said, I can see that you're a prophet. So she's kind of switched in here. What Jesus is saying was pretty profound. I can see that you're a prophet. She says, our ancestors worshipped on this mountain, but the Jews, so ancestors of of the Samaritans, they they built their own sort of worship places because they're excluded from worshipping in Jerusalem. They worshipped on this mountain, but the Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. Woman, Jesus replied, Believe me, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. What Jesus is saying is we are ushering in a new uh, way of life that salvation isn't uh, simply about um, where we worship and the people group that we are a part of, but we are opening it up to all people and all places on earth will be able to worship him. So he's saying it's not about location. How we worship is not based on our location, but it is based on our attitude. It is not based on coming into this place but it is based on our attitude when we're in this place. And what he's actually delving into here, and this is the thing that really spoke to me in this passage, 
is that when it comes to our salvation, when it comes to the gospel, it is no longer, Jesus is saying, about our status. It is no longer about a birthright. You see, the Jews sort of thought they're in. They're the chosen ones, so tick, tick the box, we're all good. Jesus is saying it's not about what culture you're in. It's not about a ritual. It's not about the fact that you've gone through all the initiation ceremonies to, to get in. It's not about um, religion. It's not about being part of a group. It's not about being on the in crowd. It's actually about me. It's actually about uh, what he spoke to about Nicodemus, about being born again into a new life in him. And so the Samaritan woman goes away praising Jesus. What a, what a comparison with, with Nicodemus who, who went away confused. So Jesus told the Samaritan woman not only that the Father was seeking true worshippers, but that he can make her one too, and he can make us one too. Here is a woman that would have been uh, ostracised in society Compare that with Nicodemus, who was a religious leader, who had status, who had wealth, who was a man. And here is a woman who was poor, who was a Samaritan. And he's saying, it's, it's not about status. It's not about your position. It's not about uh, all of that stuff. It's actually about a heart relationship. It's about an attitude. And so then he goes on in, in verse 23 and he says, Yet a time is coming and has now come when true worshippers, there's that phrase, when true worshippers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth, for they are the kind of worshippers the Father seeks. God is spirit and his worshippers must worship in spirit and in truth. And he says true worshippers. So obviously that must mean that there is a type of worship that isn't the type of worship that the Father seeks. And I believe that he's talking about the, that religious kind of uh, ceremonial worship that is just about ticking a box and doing what is right in order to perhaps please God. He's saying true worship is about spirit, it's about heart, it's about attitude as well as truth. I'm going to go into that in a moment. But the thing that really struck me in this verse is that he says, and it's going to be highlighted here, the kind of worshippers the Father seeks. Jesus says that the Father is seeking worshippers. Jesus is not saying that the Father seeks pastors. He's seeking uh, evangelists. He's seeking um, you know, the, the best looking, uh, the, the most important person with the most followers on social media. Uh, you know, the Father is not seeking all of that. The Father is seeking worshippers. I think that is really profound. What do we? What does it mean that the Father seeks 
worshippers. Well, we seek what we value. We seek what's important to us. And the, the Father is longing for, the Father is, is, is desperate for, is, is seeking not people who have got it all together, not blah, 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 fill in the blanks. Father's actually just seeking worshippers. He's seeking worshippers. So he said, Jesus says, we must, that true worship has this connection between spirit and truth. And I just want to unpack that just very quickly. Again, a chapter before, uh, when Jesus was talking with Nicodemus, he was talking about being born again of the spirit. Uh, that there is a heart relationship, there is a, a realness, there's a, a transformation that happens on the inside that is, is what brings about the newness of life that we have in Christ. And this being born again, this newness in the spirit, out of that then flows our worship in the spirit in the same way. And so we cannot cannot worship without that sense of passion and heart and, and what has happened for us on the inside. In fact, in Matthew chapter 15, Jesus quotes uh, from Isaiah when he talks about the type of worship that he sees. He sees these, these people honour me with their lips. They honour me, but their hearts, that inside attitude is far from me. How's this for a, a word? Their worship is farce. Gosh. Here, here Jesus is talking about a worship that is just about a mindset, not a heart attitude, not worship from the spirit. So Jesus is saying, there's time coming and time has come. I've ushered in this new kingdom. Uh, it is here where we're now worshipping in spirit as that newness comes to life and in that passion and that desire and that heart attitude is there, we, we have a spirit. But it's not just a hard attitude and, and, and all just nice and happy. It's actually got an object to it, the truth. Our spirit is based on the truth of the word of God. It is on what Jesus has done for us, who he is, and, 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 and who, who God is and, and what he has done for us. It's not just some airy-fairy kind of happy experience. But worship is also based on truth. And so and the, the songs that we sing this morning, it is all not just I, I feel happy and, and glad. It's because of all that you've done for me, we sang the first song. All that you've done for me, I can praise you. In fact, um, when we look at a, a wonderful uh, example of, of worship that comes from Psalms, uh, in the Bible, you just open up the Psalms, you get it everywhere. But particularly in Psalm 100, I love this Psalm, and it says, Shout for joy to the Lord, all the earth. Hallelujah. Worship the Lord with spirit, with gladness, with an attitude. Come before him with singing and joy. Why? Because it's a good thing to do? No, because it's attached to the truth. Acknowledge that the Lord is God. He made us. We are his. We are his people, the sheep of his pasture. Now we go back to the heart. Enter his gates with thanksgiving. 
Go into his courts with praise. Give thanks to him and praise his name. Why? Because of the truth. For the Lord is good. His unfailing love continues forever and his faithfulness continues to every generation. Here is a picture of somebody worshipping in spirit and in truth. You see, if we just simply worship in spirit, it becomes just a good thing and a good feeling and a good emotion and it becomes about us and it's a nice time. Um, But in the same way, if we worship just in truth, then it can become very religious and uh, very legalistic. And so Jesus is saying the two go together. We worship in spirit and in truth. So broadly speaking, worship in spirit and truth is worship that springs from a sincere heart and lines up with the truth of God's word. Just quickly on, as an aside, I don't have time to go in this, to this, but Jesus says worship in spirit and in truth, and later on he says that I am the truth. So as you're driving home, just chew on that for a bit. <laughs> that worship of the Father is actually through Jesus, the truth. Only, you can only come to the Father through Jesus. Anyway, that's just a little fun thing for you to just dwell on. So since God is seeking true worshippers, I just want to quickly spend literally five minutes talking about the nature of worship that I see in, in Scripture. And the first thing is we worship with awe. We worship with awe for who he is, for his amazing character and what he's done for us. I love the way the writer of the Hebrews said, he said, Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, let us be thankful and so worship God acceptably with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. The realisation for who God is, that he is amazing, that he has done wonderful things. Let us then worship God acceptably with reverence and awe. When was the last time you were in awe of God? When you were just taken aback by his splendour and majesty? When was the last time that you felt his power? In, at work in your life? When have you been stunned and shaken by the very presence of God? That's what it means to worship in awe. I remember a, a time in my life um, when I was, I was first sort of being called into ministry and out of the, the life that I had had. And um, obviously there's questions that come with that and they're questioning and is this right, Lord? And I remember going down to the beach by myself and, and spending some time you know, asking questions and asking God to reveal himself. And I actually uh, boldly asked God, show me your majesty. I want to know that you're real. And <laughs> I remember looking up at the stars on the beach and it was as if 
the stars were like a curtain and just like a crack in the curtain just slightly opened just a tiny bit to reveal what was behind creation, what was the nature of God, who he really was, how awesome and powerful he was. And you know know what happened in that moment? I don't know what happened, but I was next moment I was on the floor uh, with my back on the sand. Now, has anyone ever been electrocuted? Now, that's happened to me a few times where you haven't known what's happened, but you sort of wake up in a different space. <laughs> and it was a bit like that experience where I was just blown away, knocked out by the realisation of how amazing and how wonderful and how powerful and majestic our God is. I was just in awe of him. So true worshippers worship with awe. Second point is that true worshippers worship with abandon. And I think this is maybe something many of us perhaps need to grow in a little bit. I was saying with a smile on my face. (laughs) What do I mean by that? Well, abandon means complete lack of inhibition or restraint. You see, when we really realise how amazing God is, we can't help but worship and express that thankfulness and gladness in our hearts. And that doesn't come by just simply being still. There's... There's a whole body reaction to what God has done for us as we respond in our worship. And, of course, you might be thinking there's a great biblical example. Of course there is. There's the King David example in 2 Samuel where finally the ark is being brought back into Jerusalem and David is so happy he could have got anyone to sort of lead the worship, you know, come, you do the worship leading. He said, no, I'm going to take hold of that today. And how does he worship? He danced before the Lord with all his might. And he danced before the people in such a way that his wife was pretty embarrassed. His wife was looking down at him from a window and the Bible says that she had contempt for David, for the way that he was worshipping. And then David comes home and she gives him a bit of a mouthful And David's response is this. I love it. Yes, and I am willing to look even more foolish than this, even to be humiliated in my own eyes. I wonder how often are we willing to be humiliated or foolish for the sake of our worship of our God? It's not about what people next to us think. It's about worshipping God with awe and abandon. And quickly and finally, the last thing is we worship God with a sense of intimacy. Again, David said in Psalm 24, One thing I ask, one thing I seek. Out of all the things, do I want majesty, power, wisdom, provision, No, I seek that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze on the beauty of the Lord and to seek him in his temple. That was all he desired, above everything else. Priority of worth. Long to be in his presence. 
to be known by God and to know God. You see, if I am in a group of people and I talk about my wife, I can just rattle off thing after thing about things that I appreciate about her. I love the way that she is bringing up our kids. I love the way that she's opened my eyes to different food groups. (laughs) I love the way that she does our finances in our home. I love the way that she cares for what happens in our world. And, And I can keep going. I didn't have to Google it. I didn't have to look at her Facebook page to find out about her. I know her because I share an intimacy of relationship. And that's the same thing that God desires for us in our worship, that we would know him, that there would be an intimacy, that we could rattle off. We wouldn't need to Google what God's like, but we would know because he knows us and we know him. You know, in... In Bible times, yeah, we're talking about not-so-good gods before. They had not-so-good gods. They, they carved them out of wood or stone or clay and they carried them around with them. But these idols, these gods, had no ears to hear, no eyes to see, no mouths to speak. The God that we serve is a living God, a relational God, and we don't carry him but he carries us. And he has ears to hear our faintest whispers and our deepest heart cries. And he has eyes to see what's happening in our lives in every situation. And he has a mouth to speak words of promise and truth and love and intimacy over us. That is the God that we worship and that we serve and so we worship God with intimacy. As um, I was, we had a creative ministries uh, meeting the other night, and uh, as I was prefer- preparing for that, I was aware of a, a quote that came up on my Facebook post from Jeremy Riddle, who's a songwriter. We sing uh, some of his songs, and he's a worship leader. And I just want to read this quote to you to end with because this is my heart and this is a heart for us as we grow in our knowledge of worship and what it means to really enter into uh, all that God has for us. This is what Jeremy says, I find myself dreaming of an atmosphere of worship so full of his glory that it transforms anyone coming into it. Wouldn't that be great? that there is such a tangible, real sense of God's presence in this place that everyone who walks in can't but feel and know and be transformed by it. I see a people coming in with calloused and deadened hearts towards God and leaving fully alive to him. I see a people coming in oppressed and harassed but leaving fully liberated. I see a people coming in asleep to the call of God on their lives, but leaving awakened to their divine destiny. A people coming in under the weight of depression and despair, but leaving with great joy and gladness. A people coming in bound by addiction and disease, but leaving unshackled and free. 
Are people coming in afflicted by bodily pain and suffering, but leaving healed and restored? My heart is crying out for a sound of worship, a true worship in spirit and truth, a sound of worship in the earth so full of faith that the lost find themselves spontaneously crying out and confessing that Jesus is Lord. And I want to see a realm of glory so powerful and thick and tangible that no one in the room can deny the presence of God in our midst. Wow. As I said at the very beginning, I have a heart for us to grow in our worship and I wonder if that's a prophetic word for us at the Hills Christian Family Centre. We're going to have a a time of worship in a moment. Um, And we're going to sing a medley of songs that all speak of of worship. And I want you to encourage you as you you think of who God is that, again, you be amazed and wowed and awed, awestruck, that perhaps you you leave aside some of the inhibitions and, and feelings of people watching next to you. Perhaps you want to raise your hands for the first time. Perhaps you might want to kneel and that there would be a tangible presence of God amongst us as he, as he ministers to us in that time of worship, as we know him more and that he knows us more. You know, those pictures that I showed you at the start of people in our world in worship, they all had one thing in common. They all had hands lifted up. And when we see hands lifted up uh, in non-church situations, normally means two things. It either means victory, hey, we've won the game, or another thing it can mean is surrender. You know the amazing thing about when Christians lift their hands, it means both things together. We have the victory because of what Jesus has done for us. And because of that, we can come to him fully surrendered. Back to that quote from the Webster's Dictionary. Worship is to honour with extravagant love and extreme submission. Surrender. So let's do that this morning. Lord Jesus, we thank you for this this word that you've given us this morning. We thank you that your heart is that you are seeking true worshippers. You're not seeking us to have it all together. You're not seeking us to have anything else, but you're seeking worshippers. And so, Lord, as we come this morning, let it not be about a song. Let it not be about the person next to us. Let it be a response to what you've done in our lives for who you are. May our attitude be one of openness, that we would worship in spirit. But we're not just worshipping just for the sake of it, for the feeling. It's connected to who you are. connected to the truth that you came into this world to give your life up for us 
that we'd be set free. That we can come knowing that you're here to work, to work in our midst, to heal our pain, to bring about freedom from bondage, to bring about life where there's no hope. And so, long, Lord, we long to worship you in spirit and truth. That our worship of you would be connected to the word that you've revealed to us. And that out of that would be a flow of the heart that's so rich and so full. That we can't help but be in awe and be in abandon to you. And to know that you are here with us. Touching every heart touching every life, that there's not one person that's invisible to you, but that you long to meet us in that intimacy and that realness. So Holy Spirit, we just pray that you have your way in this place now. Lord, just as we spend some time in worship, come and have your way. May we grow in our experience of you. And I encourage every one of you to sing, to be quiet, to raise your hands, to kneel, to pray out loud in your own words, to do whatever comes to mind as you long to worship him for who he is and what he's done. would be a sweet offering to you as we praise you for who you are and what you've done. Lord, that our hearts would be aligned with the word of truth that you've given us and that out of that we would be true worshippers. We worship not based on location or age or status, but we worship based on what you've done for us and out of response for that. So, Lord, we thank you for your presence here today. We thank you for the gift of worship and that it is a joy to worship you with thanksgiving and and gratitude in our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. That concludes our time. We might just continue just to be be praying and, and playing. Uh, if you want to just continue to come and perhaps sit in these these front rows, feel free to do that. Um, but other than that, feel free to to head on out, uh, enjoy fellowship with one another, a coffee, and may God's blessing continue to flow and and be in you as you move out of this place and into your weeks. In Jesus' name, Amen.